All right, what's up, me Dwelle team? Stuart Anderson here. Just a short introduction before we hear from professional cyclist Alex Wild. Super grateful for the time that Alex spent with us on the podcast and grateful to Jason Lang, who made the connection, reached out to Alex, and specifically for Alex uh, for agreeing to be on with us. Super cool to meet him, hear his story, how he trains, uh, some insider secrets and things that he does to be so good and obviously what is in store for 2023. So all of our gratitude to Alex and big, big applause to him for this year. We hope he has the best year racing and uh, pursuing all the things that he hopes to accomplish. So grateful for this this team to watch him and looking forward to Alex to, to seeing all the great things that he does. Uh, Kit pickup this week, if you're listening to this podcast before Thursday, we will be at Hangar 15 at 7 o'clock. Picking up all the kits for this new year, we will have a couple more uh, opportunities to buy gear this year, uh, maybe in the upcoming months and in summertime, so uh, no worries there, but we will be up there picking up kits. If you cannot make it, please arrange with a teammate to pick up your gear for you. We'll have team socks and some old gear from last year, shirts, some hats, some sweatshirts uh, for you to, to pick up some swag stuff, so looking forward to that. Big uh, shout out to Jake Cook. We've got team camp coming up, which he is planning. Thankful for all the work that he does there to plan for us. That is April 13th, 14th, 15th down in St. George. All of the information about team camp can be found on we- on the website, meduele.com. And uh, that's it. So uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. Again, big thanks to Alex and uh, hope you enjoy. All right, bye-bye. All right, welcome everybody. Episode 78, the Dwelle Podcast. Grateful to have Jason Lang, co-host, coming to us from his log cabin. What's up, Jace? My fake log cabin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. Looks good. And uh, professional mountain biker, cyclist, Alex Wild. Welcome, Alex. Having me. Man, we're so grateful to have you. Uh, we are more and more gravitating towards interviewing only Miduele team members. So this is a really fun treat for us to have you on to talk about your career and kind of your story and uh, have you share your advice with us. So we're super grateful to have you on and um, look forward to whatever, all the questions that the six pages of single space questions that Jason has prepared for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we get started, though, we have to take just one, we have to just memorialize one second moment of silence for Matt Bollinger (laughs) And and Joe, G.I. Joe, Alex, we are in the middle of a one week. Um, what do we call it? G- distance Zwift, challenge. Zwift distance challenge. And guys are, you would think that they are competing for a $20,000 price purse. It is. <laughs> we, so what? It's day five. And uh, Matt just rolled over 600 freaking miles on his trainer. Yep. He's got that flywheel going. Oh my God. He's got a <laughs> little salad spinner connected to his pedals, just crank, cranking that thing out. I and guess if it's, on, if it's on Zwift, right? They, I guess they calibrate to power. But I always find that if you do like a trainer road workout or whatever, if you have it in the 10, it's like, oh yeah, you average 35 miles an hour for four hours. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, he is on, he is on Tempest Fugit, just. Just say he's probably avoiding Alpha's Whiff then, huh? Yeah, just, just, yeah. <laughs> just sending all every- flat all the time. 
Oh man, is whatever brutal. the flip it button is, as soon as he gets to the bottom, <laughs> nope. <laughs> a big dude, big kudos to those guys for putting their undercarriages through that experience, and then uh, big love to Corby who's forking out all the prizes for these guys from cycling upgrades. So pretty fun stuff. Uh, I guess it's fun to watch. I got my popcorn out. I, I am, I am, I believe that this will not end until Sunday night at literally eleven fifty nine. They will both be on just on their trainers. Yes. <laughs> it's it's going to be like an 800 plus mile week. I think for these guys all on the trainer. Yes, dude. That's unreal. It's, that's impressive and scary in so many ways. <laughs> There's a cycle and team dumb. here. There's a cycle team here in Utah and they literally named their team killing time cycling. And I'm like, this is a perfect name, like wasting time cycling team. This is, a, yep. this is us. <laughs> so so it's all encompassing too. It's not even just on the bike. It's like, oh, oh no. I got to swap this chain ring. Who knows why, but I'm <laughs> I gotta, tinker with something. Got to do it. Hey, so kit pickup for the team. Um, we'll release this podcast before then. March 16th, that's Thursday night at uh, 7 at Hangar 15. So we have all the new 2023 kits available. So come uh, pick them up. And if I would just say one bit of information about that, if you cannot come as much as I love you, find someone else to come and get your stuff. uh, If you can't make it, figure a way to get it yourself. Okay. Was that nice enough or was that rude, Jason? That was perfect. Okay, good. Very good. All right. Introduce our guest, Jason. All right. So we got Alex Wild here today. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners will know him. Um, he's an accomplished pro mountain bike racer. And can we call you a pro gravel bike racer now that you've done the Lifetime Series, Alex? I think I've swapped to just pro off-road racer. Like if there's two wheels pro- in dirt, I, I'll consider racing it. Nice. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, you've heard him many times on the Trainer Road podcast. He, Alex, has competed all over the U.S. in national cups and championships as a professional mountain bike racer. He has competed in the Lifetime Grand Prix last year. Um, He's even represented Team USA in world championships around the world multiple times. Alex is married and also maintains a full-time job at Specialized, at our beloved Specialized. Yes. As a senior supply manager. Yes. Yes. Does Alex. that uh does that cover it? It makes me sound a lot cooler than I am. So yeah, I'll go with that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, I was at Leadville last year. I was right behind you in the corral, right, right back, right behind you, watching you fly away. We have, we have the truck at the beginning. We cheat. That was yeah, the right. neutral start of all neutral starts. neutral start <laughs> on that flipping downhill. That was insanity. That was fun. Dude, well, um, five miles an hour. This, this feels neutral. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Hey, well, we've got questions for, uh, Alex, but you know, before we get, before we get started, Alex, um, when, when you think back on, you know, your career, when you think back on how it all started, could you kind of share that from the beginning? Like maybe, maybe your background, yeah. your history. Yeah. How you got started. So when I was in high school, the Nike league was just in its infancy. It was still, I think NorCal and SoCal were the only high school leagues. Um, 
I was fortunate enough that my brother rode and our school was part of the NorCal league. Um, so after school, I would normally just hang out. My mom would work until like four. So I would just hang out at school with my friends and that scared her. Maybe thought I would do drugs or whatever kids do. So she's like, you gotta choose a sport. And being uh, the typical little brother, I was like, well, whatever my brother does. So I decided to choose cycling. And at first it was kind of just a way to like get my mom off my back or hang out after school. I wouldn't mind riding bikes after school. That sounds fun. So did my first race kind of, I'd say dawdled through like the NorCal league and what became NICA had kind of a vague understanding and I was getting, I think I had to get 15th to qualify for nationals. And that seemed really fun in my senior year. So that became my goal. And my mom told me like, we're not going to, I'm not going to drive to Colorado because I think it was out in Granby that year, unless you qualify properly. Cause I think as a junior, it was like loose or something like that. Like I didn't technically have to get top 15. Like I could have petitioned, but she's like, no, if you don't get top 15, we're not going to drive out there. So I think I got 15th at the last varsity race, which is exactly what I needed to get in. Hmm. And then we did that. And I think I was like 20 or 21 that I kind of started to figure out, like, I'm pretty decent at this, just riding. So I tried to be taken a bit more seriously. Um, I always felt like I was a year or so too late for the cycle. So I would race cat one 17 to 18 that made sense to me because i was racing with everybody that i raced in the norcal league with and then i remember first year of what would be u23 i was like okay cat one 19 and 29 like that's the next graduation for me and i showed up to the first race of the year and all these kids that i was racing against were now racing in the pro field and i was like what the heck like why at the time it was will curtis was like king b of the nike league and i remember being like why is will racing in the pro race what's going on and so I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be in U23. <laughs> but but I guess there's something with USA Cycling that you can do it from eight, 17, 18. And then if you go straight into it, like you're in it. But since I had already gone 19 to 29, I had to like petition. So I was like, okay, I'll race all year and try to get this U23 thing. Because the only big race I knew of at the time was nationals. So I was like, okay, if I get it before nationals, I can race nationals with these guys. And so I ended up racing U23 nationals. and. Uh, the next year I ended up picking up a coach and kind of trying to figure out this whole cycling thing on my own. And I think it was just every year I learned a little more. I think I learned about world cups that year. I think Howie, that's when he won his junior world cup in Mount St. Anne and all that. And I was like, Oh, cool. World cup!" Like, this is like a global sport now. Like <laughs> this is cool. And then, yeah, I think I was really starting to get the swing of things by the end of my U23 years in terms of like, okay, this is how we train. These are the big races. This is how like these UCI points fit into like the whole kind of thing. And then I got a back injury. Um, so essentially it was, it was really weird. Um, I could train just fine. I could ride just fine, but the, the added pressure of racing or whatever it did to my position or how I rode a bike, I would get pain in my lower right back every time I raced. So it was super frustrating for me because it was kind of like, 
okay, we're going well, we're going well, we're going well, but I can't find out if this back injury is still here until I race. And so had that and took a long time to really figure it out. I have a herniated L5 S1, which we think is the core of the issue, wow. but it is pretty well managed as long as I stay in the gym and I do, I'd recommend this to anybody. It really helps. Um, the foundation routine. I don't know if y'all have heard of it on yeah, YouTube Eric from yeah, Eric Goodman. Essentially what he does is like most, if you ask a baby to pick up a piece of paper or you ask an adult, the baby will squat down, pick up the piece of paper, whereas the adult will just flex at their back. And his whole idea is that it's re his, his routine will reteach you to bend at your hips and not your back. And so doing that in combination with, I think my biggest movement is a deadlift. Like if, as long as I keep deadlift in my gym routine, like at least once every couple of weeks, that keeps it strong enough that I don't have that issue anymore. And then, so that kind of realizing that and fixing that coincided with me starting at specialized, um, that injury I thought was I'll, I'll, I'll put career in air quotes. Cause at that point, I don't really feel like I had done much, but I thought it was career ending. I thought I wasn't really like, I couldn't do anything with this. So I had reached out and got a job starting at specialized. I started as just an equipment coordinator, which is, a I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but is <laughs> a glorified equipment bitch. Um, so anything anybody else didn't want to do was my job. Um, which as funny as it is, it is a great job because you really get to learn the business. So you could, it's a unique position where you get to work almost anywhere. You could work with marketing, you could work with product, you could work with um, the developers, like you can, anywhere there's gaps, you can fill them. So it's a bit of a rotation program as well as like you have these core responsibilities you need to do, which really got me one in the door, but really understanding at that age, what drives me at a professional level within the workplace. And I found that my passion for product combined with like a desire for puzzles and spreadsheets, which is kind of how I landed in planning is, is really the sweet spot. So I really enjoy it in terms of there is a piece of understanding spec and quantity and different bikes within the family and all that, that come into play where at the same time, it's like you have these vendor capacities and you have size splits and color splits and the needs here and like ocean freight versus air freight and all these different pieces to deliver product where it needs to be at the right time. So those kind of coincided and it's kind of funny in my mind that when my professional career started, my cycling career really started, I'd say my cycling career really started in 2016. I got a handle on that back injury for the whole year. I had a consistent year and I got sixth place at national championships that year in the elite field as my first year elite, which was pretty exciting for me in terms of just validation. Like I remember racing against Todd Wells and I was in front of him until I dropped a chain. I think I was in fourth place for most of the race. And it was just this kind of like aha moment of sorts, because mm -hmm. Todd was like, the guy when I was getting into cycling. I mean, he's still the guy. I think he's, he's super rad and someone I try to emulate on a personal level, just always had time for people and always was kind and giving to the sport. And I think 
yeah, that 2016 year was really when it's like, okay, like maybe I can be decent at this. Maybe this is something that I can still pursue alongside a job. <laughs> and I remember qualifying for my first World Cup while at Specialized, and it was really cool. Sam Benedict, shout out to him, who is our mountain marketing manager. Like I had known him from the group ride, but I didn't know he knew who I was. Had read my Instagram post of like, I finally got enough UCI points to race a World Cup. And uh, he actually like paid for the whole trip to Canada for me. Just came over and was like, this is so rad. We're super psyched for you. And it was just like, we want to we wanna take care of you. And I think that just built on strength. 2017 was my first Pan American Championships. 2018 was my first Marathon World Championships. In 2019, wow. I competed both in cross country and marathon worlds. Dang. And I think each year, it just kept building from there. Um, and I have this, this strong belief, obviously we have power meters now, so it's kind of easy to look at those and, and understand where you lie in the hierarchy. But I have this strong belief that I still don't put out my best performance on race day, that I have more potential in the tank. And that's kind of become my, my drive. And it's not, it's not about results. It's not about a rainbow Jersey. It's not about a national championship. It's I want to go to every race and feel that I race to the fullest of my potential. I don't think I can retire until I do that in terms cool. of like, even those big results that I've had, you know, I've gotten multiple top five at national championships. I've won Tahoe trail the last three years. I have, I have some Palmares, but I just don't feel like they reflect what I can do. And I want to be able to do that. So yeah, I think that's kind of the big motivation moving forward. And this year for me, it'll be split between UCI marathon racing and the lifetime grand prix. Um, as I'm sure y'all and many of those listeners know, I wasn't mm -hmm. chosen for the lifetime grand prix. Um, I have talked to them and if anybody can't get a visa or drops out before the start, I'm in. So yeah. I have pretty high hopes that'll happen just because 35 people getting their crap together and getting ready for six races seems unlikely to me hmm. but also at the same time i'm fortunate enough to work in the industry and i'm already in all six races so anything with a lottery that could have stopped me i would have i'll be there anyway cool. and then also i'm not sure how much mountain your team does or mountain following but we have marathon world championships and snowshoe next year on home soil so I'm trying to rack up some points and do a Europe trip and I'll hit the two world cups this year with discovery owning them. They added a marathon race to both Nova Mesto and snowshoe this year. So I'll be at those for the marathon world cups, get some points and do Scotland. And then hopefully a medal on home soil in 24 is the goal. Dude. Nice. <clears throat> what a background, Alex. Incredible. I don't know if you guys saw when you were talking about your, um, capabilities, right? I don't know if you guys saw what Tiger Woods said this week. I don't want to, I'm Alex, I'm going to now compare you to Tiger Woods. You ready? Um, T Woods, when he was asked the same question said of all the events and everything that he's ever won, he believes he's only played to his fullest potential in two champ in two, in two, like whatever rounds championship. Yeah. So, and you're talking about like the greatest golfer of all time being willing to say, those two events were, I literally played perfect to my potential. So it's cool to hear you say that, Alex. It's more about 
being your very best. Like, I think that's an awesome example, especially from a professional athlete. So dude, big yeah, kudos. I think that's awesome. We get, we get so caught up in results and don't get me wrong. I have as well. Um, I actually full transparency, just hired a sports psychologist, which I'm really excited to work with. Cause I think I struggle with execution here, but just focusing on process oriented goals, I think can be so powerful in terms of like, what can you control on race day? Like, okay, I'm going to clip in quickly off the start. I'm going to get from here to that corner as fast as I can, and then see what position that puts me in. And then just executing a race and letting the result come to you can be so freeing from like an anxiety point of view and super powerful in terms of like how you approach a race. Very cool. I was just going to ask you, I'm glad you said that because I had wondered where, because you've raced kind of at the highest level for so long, where you were going to look for more, you know, if you don't think you've reached that full potential, you can always train more hours or, you know, mix it up a little bit in the gym or whatever, but adding a sports psychologist for the, the mental side, I think is going to be super helpful. That that'll be great to see how that works out for you. Yeah. I think I've kind of taken a, I mean, I'm, I'm an analytical guy. I've taken a, a shotgun approach of sorts. Um, I'll take anything I can get after here. So I did a sodium test at the beginning of the year, which actually we feel can be a big get for me. Um, I don't know. People are familiar with the space. will understand this, but I sweat 2.2 grams of sodium per liter of sweat <laughs> to put it in perspective. The, the normal range they, they give you stops at two. Dude. Wow. So congratulations. <laughs> the guy, the guy who tested me was like, I actually don't know how you finish Leadville without oh a sodium God. plan. Wow. So we're thinking that can be a big get in long-term stuff and possibly the reason again i don't know how closely people follow my career but i've gone to the leadville stage race many times before leadville crushed that yeah set koms on columbine literally yeah. the only person to climb columbine faster than me is keegan in in the world so if i can do that over three days why can't i put it together and we actually think like my body has enough on board to get me through a few hours but then at hour three or four without that sodium plan mm. my body just starts being like uh bro can i have some <laughs> what's the plan are you going to put like a salt lick on your glove or what what how can you get that much <laughs> it's gonna like encrust it on my <laughs> like a it's like a salt mustache it's an old bib. mustache and an old bib you'll just squeeze <laughs> it. So i've been messing around a lot with this so um luckily for me precision hydration has come on board with the feed um and they sell professor tablets um and their 1500 is 750 milligrams each so I've tried putting that in the never second C90 mix, and that will bring it up to about a gram per each bottle. Wow. Um, so I can even up it more than that. They the effervescent tablets, <clears throat> they have a 250, a 500, and a 750. So you can kind of play around with how much you want to put in there. Um, and then I think preload solutions like what scratch offers are going to be super important in the heat. Cause I get the fun of sweating a lot per liter, but then also having a ridiculous high sweat volume in general in the heat. <laughs> so there are days I am sure that I will go through about three grams of sodium per hour. Oh my goodness. So, 
put that in perspective for most people within the bell curve, that would probably be six hours of work. We'll sweat in an hour at Leadville what most people do in sit. Oh my so gosh. It, so just having a pointed plan, I think, is is the best way to get after that for me. Well, when you pass me and coming what's... down Columbine this year, I can give you anything you need, whatever you want. <laughs> High five. You were there in 2022? <laughs> yeah, I was there. I was there last year. I'll, I'll be there this year too. Yeah, yeah. That was that was probably one of my most fun events. Um, we were following uh i can't believe Braden lang and he's like an ex-moto guy and a ridiculous descender and he was just probably the most fun part of leadville for me it was just us ripping down that fire rope that was terrifying when you guys were passing us coming back <laughs> <laughs> i'm curious alex with with all that sweat do you weigh yourself before and after like what is that do you lose 10 pounds in a ride has ever been that much because i definitely am good on hydration i think it's the sodium content that has been the biggest issue um i have played around with a nix sensor nix um it's essentially i don't know if you've used a gatorade patch but it is a essentially a smart gatorade patch with no limit like the gatorade patch you have to pull off before you overflow mm -hmm. the valve whereas a nix will track actually for the entire ride your sweat rate um a little hit or miss for me. Uh, I think some days it's accurate and then some days I feel like it's hotter and I'm working harder and it's like, you're only sweating 500 mils per hour. And at my gut, I don't trust that, but I don't know if there is some something else that would vary my sweat rate. I don't know the field enough to, I guess, fully debunk it. So I've been messing around with that as far as trying to understand sweat rate more in different climates. Ideally, if I can get it to a point that I trust I'd love, so if I go, I might go to Arizona next weekend for Cactus Cup. If I go there and the environment's different, I stick that on the first day and be like, okay, in this environment, I'm sweating about 600 mils per hour. And then from there, I can kind of break it down. Like, okay, I need about 1200 milligrams of sodium per hour at that rate then and see how I can get that for the race. So volume hasn't been so much of an issue. I think it's just the sodium content, especially in the past, I, I used to do Morton, which is only 500 milligrams per about 750 mils. And then I used to use back way back before I knew what never second was SIS beta fuel gels, which actually have no sodium. So I think hmm. as far as carbs and fluid, I was always good. I think it's a sodium piece in terms of putting back the sodium I'm losing. Hmm. There's some guys on our team that need to take that sodium test. I recommend it. When you ride with me, them, like, I'm like, what are you doing? How do you not recognize what your jersey looks like right now? This is not normal. You do not look like a normal sweating person. <laughs> Every time I wear a black jersey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. You take cool. it off and it still looks like you're wearing it. Take <laughs> Cool. Let's uh, let's do some some rapid fire questions, shall we? Let's do it. As long as it's not about um, real sports. I only got the Tiger Woods reference because I'm <laughs> watching that docu series now. I uh, we'll just we'll just break it up with a little bit of rapid fire for some fun. Um, I got to throw some specialized questions in here too because we're huge fans of the specialized on our team. 
if you ever look at photos on Instagram that that Stu posts and you look at the bikes everybody's on, it's basically SL7s <laughs> across the board. It's mm-hmm. just, we, we love our specialized. And then I think, you know, on, on gravel, we love our crux and on the mountain, we love our epics. So good to hear. Um, Me too. So um, can you give us any SL8 details? Just kidding. I know you can't. You're sworn to secrecy. <laughs> SL8. Yeah. What, what's that, right? Um, so rapid fire for you, SL7 or Athos on the road? Sorry, did I lose you? SL7. Nice. SL7. Crux or diverge for the gravel? Try the new str but i would probably choose the crux because you're kind of a weight weenie right and it depends on the course right like something like tusher i would definitely use a crux it's so, so much climbing but i've considered getting an str for unbound because there's not really much climbing and over the long day having comfort might help um epic or epic evo for ripping the dirt epic evo nice i i've uh seen some deep internet um leak photos of the new epic coming out and it looks pretty rad with like kind of a diverge epic shock looks pretty wild let's have to wait and see um lace up or boa on your shoes oh um something about being able to reach down and adjust it in long races i like i like the lace up look and i think an all white lace up shoe with light white laces right out of the box super (laughs) clean but not practical um skin suit or bibs in a jersey race day skin suit with pockets though got to have room for snacks for sure um real food or gels and bottle uh gels and bottle i never eat real food on the bike nice what's the hardest race in the lifetime series race Hardest race for me this year was Tusher. Um, Unbound, they're they're kind of hard in different ways. Like Unbound isn't hard because no one dares go too hard for too long because you also have to do it for ten hours. I feel like it's it's like different workouts, right? Like Unbound is kind of like high end zone two until you die, and then <laughs> Tusher is just a bunch of FTP tests at altitude and then leadville is pretty much the same i think leadville or tusher i'd say are the hardest just the altitude piece and riding that fine line is rough sarlacc pit (laughs) fun um is will somebody 
will somebody dethrone Keegan this year in lifetime? Absolutely. Nice. Um, favorite place you've ridden, dirt or road? Place I've ridden, dirt or road. Favorite place I've ridden, dirt, Italy. Favorite place I've ridden, road, Maui. 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 Nice. You were just there. I was in freaking whatever. um, You were in Oahu. Oahu. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I should have gone to Maui. (laughs) Nasty stomach bug, right? You recovered from that stomach issue? We did some intervals yesterday, and they felt fine. But I don't think they were anything crazy anyway. They were like five one minutes on, one minute off, and two sets of that. And it was, I don't know, wasn't wasn't anything that I looked at and I was like, you want me to do what? <laughs> Dude, Maui. Maui's the best. Stu Just, loves I don't know. Maui loop. Yeah, I feel like that East Maui loop for road, I don't know anywhere else I've gone through so many different microclimates. So. Like you start out, it's like the traditional tropical and then near um, Hana, you get like the, it's almost like a British feel with the um, stone walls and the ocean there. And then you get that sick little gravel connector. And then you come out the other side and it's like the volcano pits. And it's just, I don't know. You, you feel like you're going through like all these different places. Like you're on Zwift and somehow you've like transported <laughs> into a completely different place, you know? So I think... For me, is just top top five all time rides was going around the East Maui Loop, and I think I had my crux out there, and I just had like a wider, like I think it was a thirty two or thirty four like road tire with a little bit of knob on the side, and I don't know, just you never get bored on Maui, and I think it's perfect for those week long training camps because you can almost ride every road on Maui, and then you're like sick, now I'm ready to ready to go home, yeah. ride Haleakala, yeah, I think. Very small spot, but almost everywhere you go is gorgeous. That's cool. Nice. All right. Last one. Favorite post-ride food. Ooh. Favorite post-ride food. Since I just came from Hawaii, I'll have to go plate lunch. We stopped at Ted's plate lunch a couple of times and rice with some barbecue ribs. Ooh. The look <laughs> on the lady's face when I asked for all rice and then extra rice was also quite, quite hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> You held up your salty jersey. <laughs> I've earned this. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, we have a we have a Hawaiian place here in Utah a chain called Mobetas that I just love after a, yeah. a hard ride. Is that a plate lunch, like a Hawaiian barbecue? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Mobetas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's like fantastic. Holy burrito never goes wrong. <laughs> or pizza. I can always do pizza. Yeah. That's a good one. We just had pizza last night. All right, let's get into some racing, riding, and training. What do you think, Stu? Yeah, let's do it. So let's uh, let's talk about the, I guess, Lifetime Series last year. Um, sea Otter was awesome for you, right? Yep. Um, third place finish. You were, can you, I, I had heard you, um, I don't know if I read it or heard you on an interview, kind of talk about what happened there when you shattered the field and bridged 
up to the lead group. Can you maybe recap that a little bit? Yeah. So I think every mountain biker in the field saw that start and was like, oh, sick. We want to be on the front row. Um, so I remember me, Keegan and Russell kind of ending warm up a little early and we all lined up first, just knowing that it was probably more important to be there than it was to get an extra five minutes of spinning around. So gun went off. We did the start. I think I went into the dirt seventh, which I was doing a mental check of mountain bikers. And if any, if it was all mountain bikers in front of me, I was fine. Cause it went into that single track and then into the Canyon. And it was not technical, but technical enough that if it was roadies or gravel riders, I'm sure we would pull a little bit of a gap that I didn't want to bridge. And so the seven of us kind of just did the first loop together. Wasn't anything crazy. Just, I think we got a gap on that little Canyon section and then everybody was willing to work because it guaranteed a top seven. And so came around to the track again, got our feeds. And then that same bottleneck happens. You go up the track and then you go into the single track. Uh, I got a bit boxed out from one of the riders and went in fifth place. And then, so the Canyon, you go through this little descent kind of undulating and then you come to the bottom. And then from there, it's like maybe three to five minutes of mostly climbing. And Keegan just pushed the pace there a little bit and two of the riders couldn't match it. So it was him and um, Russell going up the road. And I, for me, it was kind of like, okay, well, here we go. It's now or never. So it took me a little while to get around the other two riders and then just stepped on the gas as hard as I could. Um, I was the only one who was able to bridge up to those three. And then from there, I feel like mentally we all kind of knew it was going to come down to that last climb. Um, I cramped a little bit at the bottom of it. And I thought the group behind us was closer than they were. Um, in hindsight, I probably could have risked it for full lockup and probably still limp to the finish for third. But in my mind, I was like, okay, let's consolidate third and, you know, get some good points in the series and go from there. Um, so kind of just be there for that last dig where everybody tries to sprint up the last climb and see who survives. But I mean, overall it was, it was a good race. I think maybe I wouldn't have cramped if I had gone higher up into that single track the second time around, but live and learn. And maybe you won't now that you've got your salt plan on board for, for yeah. this year, right? When, when you do a bridge effort like that, I mean, is it like a 400 watt effort? Like what kind of effort are we talking about here? I think that one's like 440, 450 for four or five minutes with some spikes. Cause I don't know if you've done the sea otter course, but like, so you do that like dip and then there's kind of a climb, a little bit of undulation and then gradual climb. And then as you there's like a huge kicker called Hurl Hill. It's like a minute or so long to get back up to the um, fire road. So I think it was like 460 normalized, but like 440 raw, just because oh. that last minute was probably close to 500 watts. And I didn't close it all the way down. So I also had to give a little bit of gas on that fire road just to catch them at the end. And then when you get on, it's not like they're like, Hey, let's ease up for Alex. You just put in a big dig. <laughs> That's funny. Keegan and Finstey aren't that kind. That's funny. <laughs> when 
when you do that in those pro races, do they, do they realize the effort you put in and they kind of turn the screws a little bit? Um, so you go along, or along that fire road for a little bit, then you go into a single track descent. So I was, I don't know if smart enough was the word, but I tried to reel them in as close to that single track as possible once I realized I was going to do it. Cause then I hop on the back at a point that they couldn't push me to the front and they couldn't really push the pace. Like, not that I can rest when bridging up, but once I realized like the draft goes back a, a bit of a ways, once I kind of realized I was in it and I was coming back, then I kind of soft pedal a little bit and try to give myself just a bit of recovery before that descent, knowing that if they decide to really push it and take some risks on the descent, I'm not cross-eyed. So you kind of take that into consideration, but I mean, I don't think they expect me to come back. I remember, um, hmm. uh, Egan was on a podcast with, um, Lesby, their, their podcast. And he was like, yeah, I was going full chap. I didn't expect Alex to bridge that. Nice. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> always a good sign but uh yeah i mean there's definitely no gifts <laughs> i i believe that and that that was probably a great race to kind of start the series with because you felt like i belong in the front group i'm assuming right absolutely yeah i think i always have a little bit of imposter syndrome just hmm. i don't race full-time and literally everybody i race with does dang so that's cool i think it's just kind of like i'm here you know and yeah, I think it's definitely more common in the women's pro field, unfortunately, but in the men's, like the top 10 are getting paid to ride their bike yeah. full time. So I think just, just showing them I can do it and more showing myself that I can do it was a good setup for the year. And I think we we're ready to do some big things until, uh, kind of overtrained a bit and flatted it unbound. So I think a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of overtraining kind of ruined it but again i think being process oriented i i learned from that and we'll we'll take that moving forward dang alex that is a cool i mean that is for me personally i like I, the the to be motivated by that is rad you know to say i don't know if you sit there and think to yourself like well if i coulda woulda shoulda not i mean i think it's cool to think to yourself the the uh, the way that you are thinking I think that's motivational. I, for me, it would be at least. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't regret anything in terms of, I think it was funny when I was younger, you know, the goal is always to be a full-time cyclist. That sounds super rad from the outside. You're like, oh, I'll get to travel the world. I get to race my bike. Someone's going to pay me to race my bike. Okay, cool. And then you get older and you realize what sacrifices have to be made to race your bike full-time. Like it's, it's not this money pit of, winning golf tournaments at two point some million dollars a tournament, like sacrifices have to be made to, to make that happen. And I recognize that. And I think as, as soon as I was at the point that I could probably pull it together and race full time, I was also at the point age wise and mentality that I was like, maybe I don't want to do that. Like <laughs> I found a good spot where I can do both, where I can also plan for the future financially and set up a 401k and have, you know, job experience so that if I need to get another job, I, I don't have that gap in my resume, which may all sound very safe and boring, but I think for me, I don't know if I could do cycling full-time mentally either. Like riding for four hours, five hours is great. But then when I get back, 
Mm. I couldn't just sit on the couch and think about bikes. Like, (laughs) I mean, I do, but I feel like having work (laughs) gives me something to, to engage with my brain and feel like I'm contributing and learning something and, and kind of have a, a community outside of racing with my coworkers. So I think, I don't know, maybe I would do other things. Maybe I'd, you know, start a business or figure out something like I, I definitely get down like niche holes. I think I would want to teach myself how to 3d print and I would probably some similar, something similar to problem solvers. I could see myself doing like set up just like a account and like, Oh, the Roval mount for the Alpinist sucks, but what if I pre-printed this way and did this or whatever, like, and it'd be very niche, but I think I would, I would really enjoy doing something like that on the side, but I, I just need something to, to engage with. I don't think I could just smash pedals all day. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so great highlight to start the year. You said that you had some bad luck at unbound um flatted did you overall feel pretty good about that race i think after the flat i kind of just never gave up which i think i was super proud of in terms of it's a long day to ride by yourself um and then i think from a power power perspective i think it was like 270 or 280 normalized for the 10 hours so i think it showed myself that i had the power to be at the front i just wasn't so I think it was just a huge race to be in the draft. At least when I flatted, I think I flatted 30 or 40 miles in. So <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't during like the selection or the last 50 miles where everybody's kind of on their own anyway. So I missed the train and it's 45 minutes sounds like a lot, but I feel like when you're riding solo against a 35 person Peloton, I was pretty happy to keep it within an hour, honestly. So yeah, I think I, I could get over that one mentally just because I was proud of the way I handled it. And I was like, that hour was, was good. So execution was good. Um, yeah, I think, think I had good form going through unbound. And then we went to altitude for Tusher. My wife and I rent a place in Tahoe for a month each year. She's a ultra runner. So she's better than me in many ways, but we, we go to Tahoe and I think I just overcooked it in Tahoe and just came in a touch for super cooked. And then that was kind of the, the story of the rest of my year is trying to bandaid fix this overtraining and, and get some form out of it. And then mentally, I kind of just wasn't there at the end for September, October. And I ended up taking five weeks off the bike and just fully resetting, which is three weeks longer than I've ever taken before. So it's probably the longest I've spent off the bike before. I knew what bikes were. So that was hard at the time, but I think super useful long-term. Was there, so Tusher's like a really familiar course for us, me Dwelly team, just because it's kind of in our backyard and a bunch of us did it last year. We'll do it this year. Was there, did you feel right at the start that you weren't, that you were kind of overtrained or was there a point in the race, like going up the coal where you're like, I'm, I'm done. I exploded. I think you get a bit of denial, right? Like you're like, Oh, race legs or race nerves or whatever. You try to just kind of explain it away. You're there. Um, 
we started pretty hot on the first climb over to the top and I think I made the mistake of trying to stick with it for too long just thinking like all oh, my legs will come around this will be like more of an opener sometimes you feel like that first effort just bites a little more um and kind of settled in and then found a group with rob Britton, and just he was just setting a good tempo that it was hurting but i could hold it we did that over the top um i believe lesby was with us and set a good pace down the descent and then i don't even exactly know how it happened some people stopped at the feed zone and we didn't or whatever but Essentially, it was Keegan and then our group for second along the road. So I was like, well, today can't be going so bad. Like, I'm in the group for second. Like, that's great. And then you come to the tar pit. Is that what it is? Sarlacc pit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think there is when I really noticed it because you need just a little extra. Like, it's not really smooth, right? So it's kind of like a lot of low cadence kind of just digging through it. Yeah. And I just... Like, obviously you're not riding on smooth surface, but I couldn't get in a rhythm. Like I was hopping from the left to the right. I was trying to find a yeah. good gear. Like just everything just felt off. And I think it was at that point, I just kind of started to crater. The The group was going well. And I kind of, hmm. I had a feeling I was going that way. So I went into it second, just thinking I could lag climb. Cause I'm, as you are familiar with it, you kind of have that false climb and then the U-turn. And then from there, you could probably almost draft your way to the road and then the road is very draftable so i was like maybe if i can just get to the bottom of the coal and then kind of let everybody do their thing but i couldn't even fake it up that little false flat and i think i went from the second group to like 30 something by the end so it's just and at that point it was i think i was doing like 200 to 220 fully pinned yeah, that just, sounds about like me it was yeah, right. like you you start getting it's so hot in that sarlacc pit and sandy and like you said you just <clears throat> you can't find a good rhythm and then you come out and you're you're just kind of beat and you've got that coal that is just relentless and totally yeah. exposed and at altitude and it's like 200 watts feels like as much as you can do so exactly yeah yeah and i think that's a rough course to blow up on because you have all those breaking bumps going uphill, like it's, it's beating you up mentally and physically. So once your legs are gone, it's like, why am I even here? <laughs> and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but you get to the top of the coal and you're like, yes, I did it. There's no more climbing, but you just keep climbing. Like this is <laughs> gradual. Yeah. No, I was it just, yeah, keeps I was going. just a rough day. I think for me, put a lot into it like those three weeks leading up to it was really hard and I kind of just was trusting the process and literally coming back from every ride covered in salt like destroyed like there was workouts we were doing so we were at six to seven thousand feet and then with climbs above that and essentially the workout was just make it say 300 all day for three or four hours Oof. and it's like I could do it but then by the end of it like I can't do 200 at the race so yeah we Definitely messed that one up a little bit, but oh well. Probably probably my own learn. fault as well. Cause I if things are on the training plan, they get done. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, any anything you want to add here, Stu? No, it's just so fun that we're like kind of in the same 
events. Like it's like the coolest part about the, I mean, the lifetime thing is just fun. I mean, it is for us. I don't know if it's fun for Alex, but it's so fun to show up to three. I mean, I did three of those events and it's so fun to be there with them. It's just cool to feel that excitement. Um, as awful as Beaver, Utah is like, it was cool to be there together. Like at our little race, yeah. like that was awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Beaver, it's good Utah. for us too. From like the professional perspective, even if you're not in the Grand Prix, you know, those six races will have the best racers in the U S. So I think yeah. when you're choosing races, obviously we choose ones that we enjoy as well, but I think knowing you have six showdowns with the top 30 riders in the U S that for us is exciting to get everyone together and you can kind of guess going into it, but when you have a big series like that, you're like, okay, like everyone's going to be at these races. That's so cool. like we split at other races, right? Like some people are doing BWR Arizona this weekend and then the mountain bikers probably aren't. And then some people are doing cactus cup next weekend, but once the lifetime series kicks in, I think that's part of the reason I signed up regardless of being in the series is just six times that I get to, see what I'm capable of against the best racers is an exciting prospect for anybody. Dude, you are the best racer. That is you. You're not racing. You're not racing with them. That's right. (laughs) You never asked me who was going to beat them. (laughs) We knew I could see it in your eyes. (laughs) You were so quick with the absolutely. Yes, that was, it was awesome. (laughs) I'm like, well, who is he thinking of? He's not thinking of anyone else. (laughs) It was like going back to that, uh, what is it called? Full swing, the golf, uh, series. Yeah. They asked so many of those guys, like, do you think you can win this weekend? Like what a dumb, what a dumb question. Why the fuck would they show up if they didn't? (laughs) None of them need the money. You show them on their private jet with their like 10,000 square foot pool. (laughs) Bro, they came because they think they can beat everybody else. Uh, They want to show you. I'd love to take sixth. <laughs> well, I really think with a good showing, uh, I can probably hit par and get 10. I'll be happy. So good. You play know. to win know. the game, right? I don't know if they just say it to like get them to say it, right? Like to get the sound bite or whatever, but it's like you are talking to like alpha competitors, the entire field. For real. And you're like, do you want to win? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So and like, I, I, think I think one of the things that I go ahead, go ahead Alex. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say that's one of the things that I love most about bike racing in general is that it's every it's not your day every race, right? Like you never know. Everybody's there to show up to win, but you don't know how anybody's feeling. You don't know what they're dealing with. Like it's it could be your day any day. Yep. And that, that was actually part of my feedback for the Lifetime Grand Prix docu-series. There's nothing against the people they chose, but I feel like they're all Instagram personalities and they all have that platform to tell those stories. For sure. And they've already told those stories. Again, no offense. I think they're good stories. But there are 35 athletes who all come from different areas, get here different ways, approach cycling as a different thing, you know, like. Like you get the Sophia who's like, I'm going to fucking step on their throats. And then you get, you know, different approaches to it. And like, I don't know, I feel, yeah, you have to tell the story of the people who are doing well, but I'd love to hear the 18 year old racing this for their first time, what cycling is to them. That's like, cool. Are they here because they're good at bikes? Are they here because they love bikes? Are they here 
because both their parents were cyclists like what what drives you to want to race a bike quickly you know it's your background yeah so i just i don't know i feel i feel like it's very common now i think f1 did it with drive to survive and everybody's kind of like oh like if we tell the story of the personalities behind the racers people will follow whatever sport for the personality and i think i think we do a bad job of that Hmm. like i i feel like they should have chosen people with five followers and it doesn't matter what their followers are like do they have a cool story that's cool that's good insight i don't know i i poke around podcasts like when i first announced the list i actually tried to find as many podcasts with some of the different riders as possible because i was just curious why is this ex-pro roadie here and why you know like not in terms of like qualification but why why are they doing this series now you know do they do they need a paycheck and they're going for the 25k do they you know road was what they were good at and what would pay them to do their job and this was actually they loved mountain biking the whole time like Hmm. i don't know i think heard heard the mainstream stories before i'd love to hear more about the the lesser known riders if you grow a big if you grow a big mustache maybe that's the key you can get it. <laughs> yeah, and it's nothing against guys like Payson either. Like he built that from the ground up. Like as far as like entrepreneurs go, like kudos to you. But I've heard his story. I'm one of probably 40, 50,000 people that follow him. So it's like, it's great. But I would rather hear someone else's story because I've heard his and I see his. So it's like, I think I would have loved to hear his story if I didn't know it. But I think that there's a fine line, like choose five athletes maybe that we know about and we'll do well and choose five athletes that are all underdogs or all unique stories in some way or another. I don't know. It's a cool idea. I would watch it. I mean, it's a, I mean, there are dudes that you saw at Crusher where you're like, dude, what are you doing here? It would be an amazing, (laughs) it would be cool. It'd be interesting to, to watch them, to listen to that. So I know I'm pretty pumped. We We've got uh, Nathan Spratt and Zach Colton, a couple of local guys that we ride around with here that are in this series that I'm really excited to see kind of their story unfold this year. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Zach. I don't, I feel like I haven't raced him for years now. I don't know if he took a bit of a sabbatical or COVID and all that or whatever, but I remember him and Standish used to ride together all the time. And then I think Zach stopped racing for a little bit because they were on the same team I want to say it was 2018 on that with the green green kit it was um yeah competitive cyclist what was it was something like that that was a sponsor yeah yeah i can't remember he he did have some sort of illness or injury that made him take like yeah. a, a year off okay so yeah, this would be fun yeah not part of what i was ex- like regardless of whether i'm in the series i think i'll, I'll be i'm always a fan of the sport across the whole thing like honestly so excited for this weekend because strada bianchi is my favorite race to watch so but i watch it all like i watch xc world cups i have i mean the american dilemma of having to have peacock gcn and flow bikes to make sure you can actually watch all the bike races (laughs) (laughs) football's worse though my mother-in-law was trying to watch the super bowl and I consider myself pretty decent with technology. I could not find out what subscription I needed to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was, I was just beating my head against the walls. Like Ooh. I thought cycling was bad. Like there's like the NFL app, but that doesn't have playoff games. And then there's like this other one that was like kind of like TV Fubo or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Then it was like 80 bucks a month. And then there was this other one that claimed to have it. It was like, my God, help me. Hey, I did, I did have a, I did have a question and, and Jace put this on a little Google doc, which I think would be interesting to hear. Um, what did you learn from, you know, your, you said your Tahoe thing, what would you do different? Was that just a matter of the salt overwork? I mean, what, how is that different this year? I think the salt will help consistency, but I think it would still have been too much. I think we did 3,300 TSS in three weeks at altitude assuming an FTP of 360. So probably just too much in general. Um, I have switched coaches this year, so I think it'll be a little different from that perspective. Um, like I said, I think we kind of did a full overhaul of the, the village over here, new coach, hmm. which in turn meant new strength coach, because my coach used to do both sports psychologist. So kind of just built out the team for that goal of 24 worlds medal. And so that's kind of what we're charging towards. And I think, yeah, I've also, the, the guy I did the sweat test with Dave Liotta over here also has the ability to do like metabolic testing and stuff like that. So we we're going to try to get in there and do that and try to understand he can simulate altitude and mm-hmm. kind of like we can educated guess what the limiter is like essentially the the muscles in the legs or the lungs when we get to altitude so we can kind of address that at altitude um yeah i think nice different few different approaches to it but i think probably the first is a more metered approach once we get to altitude which the new coach will take care of nice cool all right jace Um, so I guess I kind of want to know what you're most excited for this year moving forward. We've kind of rehashed a little bit of last year and um, you're on a whole new trajectory this year. I think you had did a, a, like you just said, you've kind of redone everything and gotten a new sports psychologist and coach. And what are you, what are you excited for this year? What are you going to rip up? Hey, probably the most out there goal and what i'm most excited for is world's leadville doubleheader so marathon world since everything's in glasgow this year is the weekend before leadville so we get the fun logistic challenge of being in colorado Mm -hmm. flying to scotland for as few days as possible while still overcoming jet lag and seeing the course and trying to get a result there and then flying back immediately back to colorado to try to get a result at leadville um so the ultimate outcome obviously is a rainbow jersey and then winning Leadville in the rainbow jersey. Dang. But uh that'll be kind of like our biggest peak slash challenge. Um I need to put together a schedule and post it. I was still finalizing it, but roughly I'll start at Cactus Cup next weekend and then won't race again until Sea Otter. After Sea Otter, it'll be five weekends in a row. It'll be Sea Otter, Whiskey 50. I'll fly out to Europe and do a race in Italy, do the World Cup in Novo Mesto, and then do a stage race in Belgium. Fly back. I have one weekend off and then Unbound. And then after Unbound will be a little bit of a break all the way through Tusher. So I'll probably take a week easier off after Unbound to recover, go up to Tahoe, and we'll be there until Tusher. Um, I'll do Downeyville Classic, which is also 
very close to Tahoe. And then that one, I think there's the Leadville World's Double. And then I come back from that and then Schwamigan. Marathon National Championships. And then the double header. Well, actually, I might do Gravel Worlds in Italy because my mom lives in Europe and she's renting a place in Italy during that time. So I was like, well, I can visit my mom and race Gravel Worlds at the same time. So we'll see about that. And then the double header in Bentonville to finish it off. I signed up for the mountain bike the weekend before and then the Big Sugar Gravel the weekend of the 22nd. Wow. Seems pretty low key. Yeah, pretty. Here. <laughs> just a yeah. couple of races on the calendar <laughs> yeah there's a few in there that i'm not fully committed to um like if i get to the end of the year and i'm pretty burnt out i might not do the bentonville mountain bike might just go in for the gravel um national championships would be great but i don't want to show up if i can't win mm. so we'll we'll kind of evaluate those as we go i think the the hardest block is going to be that sea otter through Belgium mm. and then getting back and recovering in time for unbound. And then I think once we get through that, there's never anything with that much travel and logistics and recovery involved. I mean, the, the Scotland Leadville double is definitely healthy maybe, but mm. I don't think I can miss a world's with the goal of doing snowshoe metal so i think the experience will be great and if i can get some points at those european races leading up to it i think i can have a good enough start spot to get more points at worlds so hopefully for marathon it's not as important as xc to be like on the front row but i think the first five rows would be crucial to being at the front of the race yeah to, can you tell me a little bit about that with call-ups and points so it's basically you get points to be on the, I mean, that determines what row you're on when you start. And yeah. with mountain bike right. racing, it seems really important that you're near the front or you're never seeing the front. Actually, it's definitely more important. Like all the World Cups, essentially, you have a start loop sometimes, but normally it's within a few minutes, you're in a single track where everybody's lined out. So if you're at the back one, you're never getting to the front because it's imagine a crit right where they're taking up the whole road. Like there's no room to get through. Um, for marathon racing, normally there's more of a like separation that happens like a climb or something before it kind of closes down. But yeah, so different races, the different UCI races have different rankings. So UCI one day races have HC, C1, C2, C3, with HC being the most. And then stage racing has HC, C1, and C2. And then there's World Cups and World Championships. And the higher ranking the race, the more points you can get and the deeper it goes for places. And then essentially when you show up to a race, they go by points. So if you have 500 points and the other guy has 499, you start in front of them. If the guy has 501, then he starts in front of you. So it's just based on who registers. Hmm. World championships, you won't have everybody in the top 100. So you could be ranked 100th, but nobody else has a UCI ranking. You'll start first. Hmm. Really all based on that's, that field. That's exciting stuff. And, and you've, I mean, 
in all of your races, you've done kind of both, right? Started at the front and then had to start near the back and claw your way up to the front. And throughout my career, I've definitely, definitely been in both scenarios. Um, Worlds has always been a tricky one because it tends to be the only UCI marathon race I've done in the past. So I'll only have the, like the five or so points from the marathon the year, the, the year before. So I'll be like a hundredth out of 117. So not ideal, but that's why this year we'll do some of those world cups. Um, oh, I also forgot snowshoe has a world cup this year, which I think is a test event. So I'll do that one as well. So there's the opportunity for some good points out there to get ready for worlds. And you raced what worlds, um, in the USA Jersey with one of our other local heroes, Danny Van Wagner, right? You yeah. kind of stayed in a group with him. Yeah. Now we raced in so, Denmark together. That's, a, that's living, a fun connection. Living the dad life. <laughs> living that dad life. Yep. New baby. Nice. The super good crew. I feel like in Denmark, it was all the working class heroes. I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying that. Like everybody was a part-time cyclist, I'd say. So I think that it was, it was a cool vibe. Like, like I said, I feel a little imposter syndrome with the full-time guys with the mechanic and all that. And I think with everybody else, there's kind of like this, we all look out for each other mentality. Like we were checking in, I think we had a group chat going and it was like, Oh, do we need anybody in the feed zone? Like we have this covered. Oh, like, is this what the start is? So I don't know, definitely more community than I've, I've had in, in years past. So it was super fun. Awesome. Also whole of a lifetime going into that finish. I, I remember reading about that. He, he literally pulled probably from like a K out to leave me out and gapped everybody else in our group and i was like there's no way i'm coming around you after that like you're a fucking hero like <laughs> it was so impressive because we we were just like i don't think we were fighting for anything crazy place-wise i think it was like 70th or 80th at the end of the day but there was like a little section that we like tried to set me up for i was like oh okay i'll move to the front here and then you can kind of just do it slowly through this single track and i'll get a gap and we tried that and i like bobbled the pedal or whatever so we kind of tried to set up for a sprint and it was just I think we were both content with whatever place we finished in the group but it was fun to do some like USA team tactics but fun. yeah when he stepped on the gas it was like all right well we are going <laughs> he's he's so good at that I, Stu I don't know if you remember he Danny doesn't race a lot of roads so he jumped in like a cat three race with us mm -hmm. um at East Canyon last year and he oh. All That's of a sudden, right. it was like halfway through the race, we see this guy way up in front, just solo. And we were all like, who's that guy? Like, he's not in our group, right? Yeah, he's catching. We're like, no, no. Yeah, he's he's not in our group. He must have fallen off the front group. And he, so like our group gets to the end and there's a sprint for the finish and people think they won the race and then they and found out like second place. <laughs> They're like, wait, what? second place? Who took first? And Danny had finished like, six minutes ahead of like that's, everybody that's else <laughs> that's fucking awesome that's fun hey uh alex one thing that we usually do we'd love to hear from you at least um because i know you although our team you know that is filled with you know dads uh weekend i don't call us weekend warriors jace is that a bit of a dig on the team but uh um, no way you just told them we're doing like 600 oh, yeah, miles right, on swift right. this week <laughs> i was about to say not, not with the strava total i mean the, <laughs> when you total. when you look at 
a group of guys like us, um, what would you, what advice would you give just like a team of a, a local club? Um, whether it's advice about balance or finding success or having fun or staying healthy, like what comes to mind when you're like, listen, this is what I've learned in this industry that I would share with a group of a, a team. Contrary to most, I have zero interest in grooming the next world champion, national champion, top junior. My biggest interest in cycling is to make lifelong cyclists. I think the biggest power of the bike, yeah, we love to compete, yeah, we love to race, but is the fact that you can stay so fit with your hobby. So I think that for me is it comes down to like finding that fun, right? Like if you're burned out on intervals, like maybe do it on a mountain bike or, you know, try to find like a KOM that's like the same length or something to motivate you to do it. Or, you know, it's, it's not always about perfect training. It's about what you can make happen. And I think time management is always one of my biggest piece of advice to people who are trying to find time to ride is respect that time like you would a meeting on your calendar or a doctor's appointment or mm. anything else that is unmovable. I think a lot of people doing that, but you have to understand that riding a bike will probably do more for you than a doctor's appointment if you're doing it regularly. So I think really protecting that time, like I'm going to ride from eight to nine tomorrow. I'm busy. Like I'm unavailable. And I think protecting that time, but also planning that time out ahead of time. And I think for me, that's been the biggest thing in terms of like, all right, today I have to work. I have to do gym and I have to get four hours in. It's like, it's not always easy. And I'm definitely fortunate enough to have a job that's very individual contributor focused so I can do work in the afternoon. But it's like, okay, if sun sets at five o'clock, I got to leave for my ride at 1230 and I got to do gym before Europe wakes up. So it's like, okay, I'll be up at this time. I'm going to do an hour of gym. I'm going to be on my computer from here to here because that's the crossover with Europe. I'm going to make pancakes here or even pre-make them, whatever it is. And then I'm going to ride from 1230 to 430. I'm going to get back by five. I'm like, I can be back on my computer and finish this, 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 and this. And then dinner's here. Like not every day is like that, but on those really time crunch days, you really got to just prioritize what you need to get done and like have fun doing it. You know, I think. That's great one thing advice. that I've wanted to do, and I'm sure with the community you have, you have it, is I'd really love to get a group ride in my schedule. Like, like Keegan has the shootout, and I don't think we have like a quality group ride around here, but I think such a community around group rides, and if you can incorporate that into your training once a week and just, you know, chalk it up to a group ride like you don't convince yourself it's going to be zone two or zone three or sweet spot or whatever it's like it kind of is what it is and you can make it as hard as you want mm -hmm. but i don't know i feel like even just being here for an hour with you two i think the community you built is super important too because i think it comes down to like what we were talking about with having a job is i enjoy the community at work you know like i do a lot of my training by myself it's a lot of time in your own head listen to audiobooks and i think mm -hmm. if you can combine those two even if it's like Zwift and then everybody's on FaceTime or Zwift and everybody's like on a group phone call or whatever it is on Zoom call just to like have that community I think is super important because we like we like to be with people who are like-minded you know and I think 
that makes it so much more enjoyable. And like we all talk about bikes probably too much, but when you're in a group of people that talk about bikes too much, then it's let's just chat bikes. Yeah. That's fun. Great advice. Yeah, I know I just had a dude on LinkedIn reach out to me. I don't even know how he he's like, Hey, I see you manage a bike team. Can we chat? And I'm like, I don't know how you know that. That is there's nothing on my LinkedIn that says that. <laughs> but yes, happy to talk about my real job. But yeah, we can talk about that. Very cool. Anyway. All right, Jace, anything else? No, that was super great advice. I think um it it's great to see a guy like you. If for those of you that don't follow Alex on Instagram, he's a great follow on uh, Alex Wild MTV. He does. Is it every Monday that you answer questions, Alex, or is it Sunday or? It's Monday. Yeah, I need to get back on. Yeah. I, was, I was on the kitchen floor dying, so I didn't need any questions. <laughs> yeah. So so every Monday, Alex is always looking for ways to kind of give back, and he just kind of told you how structured his day is and how much time he's putting in, but he's still willing to get on Instagram and be, you know, super active and answer anybody's questions. He does Q and A's and I actually connected to Alex on Instagram, he, but I don't even know what you posted, but I just reached out and we're like, Hey, do you want to be on a podcast? And he <laughs> popped right back and said, yeah, you bet. Let's, you know, figure out a time that works. So I, I think it's really awesome that there are people, ambassadors of the sport out there like you always, you know, willing to sacrifice and give back a little bit. Consider a sacrifice. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be on social media. Hmm, I mean, cool. my best because obviously people pay me and sponsor me to ride bikes, but <clears throat> I just couldn't post pictures of bikes every day like I'm sure I'd have more followers and I'd get all these likes but for me it's not authentic and I think it was when I started going on the trainer road podcast and we were answering listener questions and people would message me afterwards like oh you you said this like I'm doing this kind of thing and it really gave me a reason to be on social media like it, it felt like social media could be good per se so I feel yeah I'm always looking for for a way to I guess, share my knowledge and whether it's, do you wear underwear under bibs or do you shave your legs or, you know, like we've all, we've all been there. And I think having a resource and someone who's like not shying away from those questions, I guess, or, you know, thinking they're stupid or whatever it is, I think, I don't know, it makes another cyclist. And for me, if I can make someone's ride more enjoyable and make them a lifelong cyclist, then I can be on social media a little bit. Good for you. You should do more send puppy, them the, puppy pictures, send them, dog pictures. Send them the saddle sore survey, Stu. Yeah, we're, <laughs> our next <laughs> podcast is a team saddle sore survey. So it's going to be exciting. What? Yeah. It was like, uh, I think it was team GB when they, the UCI had a restriction on um, saddle angle. Mm -hmm. They just kept sending them photos of, Riders saddle source. <laughs> I should include a <laughs> upload photo on the survey, Jace. Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> nice. All right, Jace. We good? Alex, anything else? Anything else sad? No. Super grateful for you, man. It's gonna be really fun to watch you this season. I can't wait. Let's Here's high five. Is. We're high five. Jace, you're doing crusher, right? Yeah. Okay, man. That's where we'll see you first.
You're going to be in the zone though. So we just, we'll just wave from you from far away. See you at the finish line. Yeah. Finish line, whatever, (laughs) dude. Yeah. Will you pull us back down the Canyon? uh, When we get to the top of that stupid finish line. (laughs) Go down the Canyon. I'm staying with your, your, your local celebrity, Sid McGee. And he got us a place on the mountain. So I'm up there. That's what I do. That's what I just dread in the when, morning when it's five degrees. <laughs> that's what I was dreading when we get to the top is the uh, the descent to back to Beaver. <laughs> anyway, the the temperature changes morning. pretty. Incredible. I'm gonna be like in my puffy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex, getting a house up there. Hey, man, thanks so much. Grateful for you. Grateful for Specialized. And uh, yeah, thanks for you reaching out. I love hey, this man. stuff. Have a great season, dude. Thank you.